Hello and good afternoon. Um, so last semester I walked into this classroom, it was my ancient philosophy classroom, and on the chalkboard someone had taken the unimaginable amount of time to draw a snowy landscape with mountains in the back, uh, with, with snow-capped peaks, um, evergreen trees with frosted tips, uh, a pack of wolves running off in the distance, a couple of bears, and a cabin. And it got us talking about um, how my philosophy professor, when he was in grad school, hated traveling sometimes because there would be these long uh, commutes that, that were made even longer by bear jams. And the first thing that popped into my head was a bunch of bears playing a bongo. But I realized that that <laughs> probably didn't make sense. And so the next thing I thought of was um, perhaps a, a, a huge jar of bear jam sitting on my mom's shelf in her kitchen. But I realized that didn't really make sense either. Um, and then we, I, I subsequently realized that it's just a traffic jam that's caused by people looking at bears as they're just out doing their thing in the forest. Um, but it got me uh, to think about the way that we conceptualize language, the way that we conceptualize symbols in our heads. Um, and so I, I wanted to give a few examples, um, starting off with perhaps one of the most simplest of, of symbols, a horizontal line. If you look at horizontal lines in chemistry, there are two very quick uh, ways in which you can represent it. Um, it can mean bonding between two, two elements, so like a carbon atom and a carbon atom um, can be uh, added together with a horizontal line, or depending on where it's located, it can mean a charge, um, like in a chlorine ion. In mathematics, it can mean subtraction, or if you add two, one on top of the other, um, you can have uh, what represents equivalency. In poetry, in, in literature, in, uh, it, it, can, it can represent an extended pause, a break in thought, something that is designed to make you think more about a particular piece of, of, or a group of words or sentences that are on a page. And if you think about it, um, that means that we're, we're using these symbols in a, a variety of different uh, classroom settings and, and um, languages written and spoken, and so we're really fluent in a lot of different languages, we just don't really realize it. Um, but how do, we, how do we organize these things? How do we codify them, normalize them, and make sense of them? Because obviously you can have a myriad of symbols used in a myriad of ways. Well, these symbols become characters, these characters become words, words, sentences, and sentences put into paragraphs which are put into books or poems and what have you. So my question is, books are clearly important because that's how we, we, we organize our, our beliefs and what we know about the world and what we feel. So what if we lost our love for books? Um, this is partially inspired by two books that I wrote, or that, I'm sorry, that I read, <laughs> that I read, that I read over the summer. One was 1984 by George Orwell. Uh, another one, which I want to focus more on, was four, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Um, so briefly, a synopsis of Fahrenheit 451. Um, it is a, a post-literary world in which, um, it's, a, it's a very dystopian world in which um, the education system has been completely changed and, and, and society as a whole has undergone this massive revolution that has come about as a result of banning books. Um, books are outlawed. If, if people are found with them, they're burned alive along with whatever book that they have. It, owning a book is the most serious of capital crimes. And ultimately, it results in people's educations amounting to nothing more than rote memorization, where you go to class, you watch a video, somebody tells you that two plus two is four, um, and, and very basic facts like that, and you're not allowed to question, you're not allowed to, to do anything but memorize facts A, B, and C. And then you go home and you watch the same television shows in your TV room that has TVs on all four walls, and that amounts to your experience in daily life any more than that and you start to make people uncomfortable and so that ultimately amounts to institutions and people thinking and saying the same things and consequently they say nothing at all. Think about that for a second. 
people who are in college right now, all of us, most of us are either in college, some of us have graduated, some um, will be in, going into college soon. Imagine a world in which um, I, perhaps a, a what-if conference in which we all get up and give the same presentation, where I say, hello, this is the what-if presentation, or my what-if presentation. What if we ask questions about the world? What if we ask questions about the world? What if we ask questions about the world? That mundanity becomes absurd and pointless, and that's what happens in this world. And as somebody who, who reads philosophy, as somebody who reads literature and, and finds these things fascinating, these alternate, alternate worlds in which I can, to, in which I can escape, um, that's probably one of the most terrifying things that I can think of. So what does the book represent? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm skipping too far ahead. You might not think that that's that much of a problem in our world. We don't burn books. We don't attack people who, who um, believe that education is a bad thing. I could go on, but I'll stop right there because we do do these things. For example, um, two notorious cases that have happened very recently. Um, I apologize if I get the country wrong. Um, Pakistan, uh, where a girl named, a very young girl named Malala was, um, she, the, she was the, the victim of an ass attempted assassination by Taliban insurgents because she was fighting for the equal rights of women to have an education, which is perhaps one of the most incredible things I've ever heard. Thank goodness that she was under the care of, of excellent doctors who were able to uh, not only uh, remove the bullet from her brain, but keep her alive. Um, similarly, in Pakistan, vaccinators have been attacked for, um, by Taliban insurgents once again because they believe that vaccinations are a CIA plot to render their children infertile. Um, if you go into more Western countries, uh, if you read, you might have read last October that some Greek scientists were crim criminally charged for the deaths of a, a few people who had died in a city that had been struck by an earthquake because the scientists didn't warn them that it would be as bad as it was and just how, how uh, catastrophic the potential damage could be. Um, and then in our own world, um, I'm sorry, in our own country, in our own cities, in our own homes, we're watching things like Jersey Shore and we're reading lousy novels that are based on selling sex. It seems like we're going over a cliff a very slow, at a very slow pace, but I feel like sometimes that's what we're doing. So what does the book represent itself? The book itself is a symbol and it can represent a myriad of things. It doesn't have to be physical. It can be an e-book. It can be something on a computer. Uh-oh, I don't actually want you to read that because, um, <laughs> or maybe I do. Um, anyway, I could, we could try to dissect this book by, by analyzing the words and, and trying to extract the meaning, try to understand the narrator's perspective, try to understand the author's perspective, try to understand what he wants to say to you and how you want to feel and how you yourself do feel reading it. But wait, we get distracted. Well, okay, let's go to the book again. I'm sorry, actually, I just got a tweet on, on Twitter. Okay, I'm gonna go back to my book now. Wait, I just got a Facebook status update, and so I'm just gonna check that on my computer, I guess, um, because it'll be much easier to respond, and then before you know it, you've spent a lot of time on that, and so you never really get to dissect the meat of the material. You never really get to learn. We never get to put it under a microscope. And so we, we often resort to getting Instead of reading the New York Times for, for the news for the day, we get a, a tweet update um, or we get a, a, a Facebook status um, as our source of income, I'm sorry, as our, our source of, of news. Um, I think that's very problematic. So what do books do for us? Um, and, I, and I'm going to go with a bit of a non-traditional ending because um, I wrote a po poem this morning and I want to share it with you guys. Um, <laughs> But what do books do? They empower us. They tip the scales in your favor. They give you the strength, the tools, the, the diversity of thought to be able to tackle difficult problems. They allow you to travel to new places previously unseen. They give you novel ideas. They allow you to innovate. Um, and they give you wisdom. 
because they're the long thought out words of, of people who have come before us. And I think that should make us very happy. Now, I woke up this morning with a couple of lines in my head, and I've, I've been writing poetry recently, and I've also just recently started performing it. Um, but I guess this is probably the best way that I think I could characterize the importance of books. A good book is like a slow kiss. It keeps you wondering as time slows to a halt in that bliss, and I'd be remiss if I didn't go back for more. But now that I've gotten my foot in the door, I want to dive headlong into its pages and meet strange new people in fascinating places like mountain sages. I want my mind to go to new lands, soar to new heights, and think new thoughts so that I am distraught because I don't know what's going to happen next. I want to spend 1,001 nights in Arabic lands, lost exploring the treasures hidden in desert sands. I want to plunge 20,000 leagues under the sea, spelunk caves, and surf waves of thought generated by the gravity of curious minds. I want to smell the saccharine perfume of a wild rose wafting across the greenest of pastures after a gentle rain. May I travel mountains beyond mountains and follow detectives through the streets of Barcelona, Spain. I, I want Neruda to scribe the most profound emotions of my heart and Beethoven to play the strings. As long as I have a brain in my head and feet on my legs, I hope and I pray that my questions never subside, but rather that they be multiplied. I want active curiosity to be my guide. Thank you.